Charles Dickens, in The Tale of Two Cities, penned these famous lines. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. This morning, we discovered that Israel had one of the days that was the best of days and one of the days that was the worst of days. It was a day of wisdom and it was a day of foolishness. In our passage last week, we ended on the great victory that Israel had on that day in which Jonathan began by going up against the garrison. And it concluded with verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Now in our passage, we find that we are on the very same day. But it turns out that it was a very terrible day. Last week we got the good news, today we get the bad news. If you look at verse 24, it says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. That day referring to the day in which God had granted a great deliverance of Israel. The good news was that Israel was saved that day. The bad news is that Saul wrecked the day by a series of foolish oaths. Being hard-pressed is related to the oath that Saul made, if you look at verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people. The question that we need to begin with is what is the relationship between Saul's oath and the people being hard-pressed? Did the distress, that is the being hard-pressed, prompt the oath of Saul or did the distress result from the oath? We begin with a translation issue to consider. If you look at the ESV, the ESV translate the verse in such a way that the distress prompts the oath. If you look at verse 24, and the men of Israel had been pressed hard that day, so Saul laid an oath on the people, meaning that they were hard pressed, therefore it was prompted for, on his part to make an oath. All the other translations have the distress coming as a result of the oath. If you have an NAS, it says, now the men of Israel were hard pressed on that day for Saul had put the people under an oath. The King James says, and the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people. NIV, now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people. So that uses the word because. So the question is, did the stress prompt the oath, or did the oath create the distress? The answer can't be derived at grammatically. Uh, it must be answered contextually. In the Hebrew, it's just simply a while consecutive, which means it's a simple conjunction. And uh, we have to figure out from the context which is correct. And as we go through the text, I think it will become clear that we have to understand that the Israelites' distress resulted from the oath. The oath caused the distress. There are many things that lead us to that conclusion 
Verses 28 and 29 to be sure. Then the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. The, troubled the land. This is part of the being hard-pressed. Hard uh, Saul has done this by his oath. So this oath that Saul makes is bad news in more ways than one. So we're going to be talking about oaths this morning. And oaths in general are not a good idea. They are warned against repeatedly in the Old Testament, and they are actually forbidden in the New Testament. And why they are so severely warned against and forbidden is because oaths have an unintended circumstance that often accompanies the oath. People make a commitment that they're going to do something no matter what, and they have no idea what is included in that no matter what. They don't understand all of the attending circumstances that can happen. They are just interested in making a deal with God and, and trying to, in some way, ascertain or uh, obtain God's help. And so they make some kind of commitment. But unfortunately, there are many unattended circumstances that are associated with O's. So Ecclesiastes says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of the hands? Uh, it is commonplace that oaths are indeed a mistake. So the theme of this morning's message is Saul's foolish oaths have severe unintended consequences. The key verse is verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, and I would submit to you that it should say because Saul had laid an oath on the people. Verse 24 is a summary statement of the chapter and is very helpful. As we look at this passage, we're going to discover there are actually four oaths in this passage. Three of them foolishly uttered by Saul, and then the fourth is given by the people. So we're going to consider these oaths. First, a consideration of the first foolish oath that made by Saul. The characterization of the oath is that the people were to go without food the entire day that they are fighting or suffer a curse if they did not. Verse 24. The men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening. The nature of the oath was the people were not to stop fighting in order to eat. That was the main purpose. For the motivation of the oath was that Saul wanted a full and complete victory over his enemies. Notice again verse 24. Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So he wanted all of the Philistines to be wiped out, and saw that their stopping to eat food would uh, hinder or hamper their having this great military success. So he says, nobody can eat anything until everyone is defeated. The motivation for the oath was a sinful motivation. 
What is striking here is the personal manner in which Saul viewed the battle. Notice how he characterizes what takes place that day in verse 24, where he says, Cursed is the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. For Saul, this battle was all about Saul, that I might be avenged on my enemies. Most strikingly, Saul's concern was not with the glory of God. It was not, let us refrain from eating so that, can, so that God can be glorified this day and that his name can be praised. There is a tremendous contrast between verse 23 and 24. In verse 23, it said, so the Lord saved Israel that day. This is the very same day. But as Saul is fighting that day, he's not thinking about the Lord. He's thinking about his enemies and he's thinking about avenging them. He's thinking about his kingdom. He's thinking about his kingship. He's thinking about all the ramifications it has for himself. And then secondly, he's not even thinking about the nation. Saul did not have the good of the nation in view when he made this oath. Again, you have the contrast between verse 23 and verse 24. Verse 23, it said, so the Lord saved Israel that day. It's referring to all the people. God saved Israel. God delivered his servants. But again, Saul sees this battle all about himself. And he's not concerned about the people. And he's not concerned about the consequences of this oath upon them. Well, the oath resulted in the people going without food, the end of verse 24. So none of the people had tasted food. It's the explanation of all that follows. Now we have the unseen circumstances. This is important in each of these oaths, the unforeseen circumstances, the things that Saul did not take into consideration, the things that he didn't realize were going to be the unintended consequences of his oaths. Saul did not take into account the ability of God to provide food for the soldiers in such an abundant and easy fashion. Verse 25. Now, when all the people came to the forest, behold, there's my favorite word that we find in 1 Samuel over and over again. Behold, stop, look, consider this. Behold, there was honey on the ground. Verse 26. And when the people entered the forest, behold, there it is, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for they feared the oath. The people did not avail themselves of this food, this honey, even though it was dripping from the trees and lying on the ground. All they had to do was just reach out their hand, and they could have kept on fighting. But Saul had anticipated that for the army to eat, they were going to have to stop, they were going to have to somehow cook food, and they were going to have to do all these things. And so Samuel, so in the mind of Saul, let's not eat anything. In fact, cursed is anybody who's going to eat anything. He didn't anticipate how readily available the food was going to be. He didn't anticipate God's provision. He didn't anticipate God's goodness which is often the case with O's. We think we have to make God work for us. We think we've got to make a deal because God isn't going to do what we want him to do. 
when God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So the oath prevented the people to avail themselves of God's gracious provision, verse 26. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. So you had the unforeseen provision of God, and then you have the unforeseen action of Jonathan. Jonathan's innocent breaking of the oath is found in verse 27. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. He's out, he's already fighting the battle before Saul makes this oath. He's not in hearing distance. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, dipped it in the honeycomb, put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. He was revived. He was refreshed. He was ready to continue fighting. Saul never imagined Jonathan innocently partaking of food that day. Now we have Jonathan's response when he hears about the oath, verse 28 and 29. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. My father has troubled the land. Here is the interpretive key for verse 24, showing us that it was the oath that was the problem. Saul had troubled the land. And he had troubled the land in a number of ways. First, the oath, rather than aiding the fighting, hindered the fighting. If the people had eaten food, they would not have been weary, would have been strengthened, and could, and could have fought longer and harder. Remember, the intent of the oath was to bring about a total destruction of the Philistines. The purpose of the oath was to have a greater military success by not eating. But the result was just the opposite at the end of verse 30. How much better if the people had not eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found, for now the defeat among the Philistines had not been great. If you listen to the other translations, it makes it extremely clear. The NAS, yet now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. NIV, would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? The oath had the exact opposite effect that Saul intended. He thought the oath would result in a greater victory. The fact was, it was less of a victory, for the people were weary and tired and couldn't fight as strenuously as if they were refreshed by food. Secondly, the oath troubled the land by providing an unintended stumbling block for the people. The people were extremely weak after a long and difficult fight that had covered 15 miles. If you look at verse 31, they struck down the Philistines that day. That day, that keeps coming up, that day, so you don't lose sight that we're talking about the very same day with all these circumstances coming to pass. That's why I'm dealing with this big section, for it covers just one day. So as they struck down the Philistines that day from Itmash to Agilon, that's a distance of approximately 15 miles. So these men ran, marched, scurried, fought, 
hand-to-hand battle, etc., over a period of 15 miles. That's a long way to be running, to be walking, to be fighting. And obviously, they are tired. And they haven't eaten anything all day. Now the oath is expired. The people were free to eat because it was now nighttime. And the people gorged themselves on the plunder of their victory, verse 32. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Now the people who have kept Saul's oath are violating God's command, verse 33. They said to Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. That violated the dietary laws in the book of Leviticus. Such a violation was, in fact, a sin against the Lord. And according to Leviticus chapter 17, anyone who'd done such a thing was to be cut off from the people of Israel. It was an extremely serious offense. In fact, it's repeated twice in Leviticus chapter 17 that a person who does this will be cut off from Israel. This was a far more serious offense than having broken a man's oath. And yet, the sin here is treated much less severely than the breaking of the oath is treated. Uh, Saul elevates his oath above the word of God. So Saul provides a place for the animals to be slaughtered so that the people would not sin, verse 34. And Saul said, uh, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox and uh, with him and that night they slaughtered them there. In an uncustomary fashion, Saul seeks the Lord's forgiveness on the part of the people. Saul sought the Lord's forgiveness in verse 35, where it says, and Saul built an altar to the Lord, and he does so in an uncustomary manner, as found in the end of verse 35, it was the first altar that he had built to the Lord. So Saul had never done anything like this before. A lot of background here before we get to the application. So for Saul, that was just kind of getting everything out of the way so that the battle could continue. Now that the people refreshed, Saul wants to go and continue to fight the battle. Verse 36. Then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. So he got... He dealt with the fact that they had sinned. He dealt with the fact that they were tired. He dealt with the fact that, that uh, they were hungry. It's now nighttime, and he says, let's go back, and let's just wipe the rest of them out. We'll fight all night long until daybreak, and there won't be a Philistine left. The priest says, let's ask God concerning his will before we rush into anything. That comes in the end of verse 36. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Well, let us ask God. 
However, God does not answer their question as to whether they should continue to, bat, to fight the battle or not. Verse 37, And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of the Israel? But he did not answer them that day. This is going to be the occasion for the second oath. Now Saul enters into a second foolish oath that the person who is at fault is going to be put to death. Saul senses that God is displeased in some way. In verse 38, Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. Now here's the oath. That the one who is found guilty of breaking the oath is going to die without exception. Verse 39. For as the Lord lives, that's the phrase that makes this an oath. He's called upon the living God. For as the Lord lives... Who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. So the oath is that who is ever guilty is going to die without exception. And in order to make this oath palpable, in order to understand how sincere and how dedicated Saul is to this oath, he says, no one is going to escape even Jonathan, my son. They will surely die. Once again, there is an unforeseen circumstance associated with this oath. Namely, Saul does not anticipate that Jonathan is the one who broke the oath. It never enters Saul's mind. He thinks Jonathan is the hero of the day. He thinks Jonathan is the, the person with whom God would be so delighted everything that takes place. He's saying it glibly that whoever it is, I don't care, it could be even Jonathan. He's going to die. But he never thinks it's going to be Jonathan. Well, no one says anything. Verse 39. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there is not a man among all the people who answered him. Nobody was going to rat out Jonathan. They had their allegiance to him. So Saul devises a plan to see who's at fault. Verses 40 to 41. Then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord, God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. I won't go into great uh, Explanation here simply is saying this was a form of casting lots. Verse 42. Then Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul confronts Jonathan. Verse 43. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. Jonathan confesses that he is at fault. And it's rather striking that Jonathan makes no excuses. If you look at verse 43. 
Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. Jonathan said to him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. He doesn't say, I didn't know about the oath. He doesn't say this oath was stupid. (laughs) He says, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. That's what I did. You know what else is striking there? When Jonathan heard about the oath, he didn't need any more. When Jonathan had heard what his father said, he stopped. That simple reaching out with the tip of his staff and taking that taste is what he was guilty of. And yet, no defensiveness. Doesn't say, I didn't understand. Doesn't say I quit eating. (laughs) There is no self-justification. Instead, Jonathan is ready to accept the consequences and willingly presents himself to be killed in fulfillment of Saul's latest vow. Verse 43. Then... Uh, excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, verse 43. I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. Here I am, I will die. ESV, here I am, I will die. NAS, here I am, I must die. King James, and lo, I must die. <clears throat> it's interesting in the 1984 version of the NIV, they turned this into a question. In the 1984 version of the NIV, it says, I merely tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now must I die? It's raising a question. But that's not what's happening here. And so in the later revision of the NIV, they change it back and says, and now must I die? Excuse me, and now I must die. That's what he's saying. I must die. You don't have any alternative. You made an oath. You said that the person who is guilty has to die. And he is willing to accept that. Jonathan is a pretty amazing individual. We'll get to the application in just a little bit. Keep hanging with me. Now, here's the third foolish oath that Saul enters into. And it's rather striking. Saul says, may God kill me if you don't die, Jonathan. May God kill me if you don't die, verse 44. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also. May God hold me accountable. You shall surely die. Jonathan, I'm going to kill you. And if I don't, may God kill me or do worse. It's amazing where the progression of these O's end up. What starts off to be what seemingly is pretty innocuous of just saying to the people, you can't eat any food today spirals out of control. It just creates a bigger and bigger debacle. 
Saul paints himself into more of a corner with each of these stupid O's that he makes. It certainly was not the original intention. When the first oath was made, that it would end up with his own son, the hero of the battle, having to die. But it is Saul's arrogance and pride that has resulted in this debacle. How prophetic is that statement when Jonathan says, my father has troubled the land in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 29. So many things are striking at this point. But among them is that Saul is ready to put to death his own son for breaking Saul's command. May God kill me or even worse if Jonathan does not die. Now you have to realize that Saul views obedience to his command, Saul's command, not to eat. This is Saul's oath. This is a restriction that Saul is laying on, on the people. This is what, God didn't command this. God didn't say, you can't eat food this day. That was Saul's command. And Saul viewed breaking that command, being worthy of death. But just earlier, they had broken God's command about not eating food with the blood and he is willing to just forget about that and instead call upon the Lord and ask the Lord for forgiveness. Here, there is no intention of making an offering to atone for Jonathan's innocent actions. There is a complete lack of compassion. There is no seeking of forgiveness There is no granting of forgiveness. Saul makes this foolish oath, and now here again are the unintended consequences, the unforeseen circumstance when he makes this third and final oath, and that is that he does not foresee the people interceding strenuously on Jonathan's behalf. Now the people make their own oath, verse 45. Then the people said to Saul, Jonathan, shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it, as the Lord lives. So now here's their oath. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. Again, the emphasis is on this day, this day. This was a day that Jonathan worked with God. This is a day in which God used Jonathan. This was a day in which Jonathan was the instrument of God. To put him to death makes no sense. Jonathan was God's instrument to bring about the victory that they had experienced. For he has worked with God that day. The people were willing to take the punishment in Jonathan's place. If you look at verse 45 at the end where it says, The Lord lives, there should not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. Now these words, so the people ransomed Jonathan, so he did not die. I love that translation, for that is a very little translation. The others say rescue or deliver, but it's the word ransomed. It means to pay the price. 
The people in essence said, rather us than Jonathan. If somebody has to die today, make it us, not Jonathan. They put down an ultimatum. You can't touch a hair of his head. And if somebody has to die, make it us. Saul didn't see that coming. Saul was not anticipating that kind of response. Saul wasn't thinking that Jonathan would have that kind of allegiance. In his arrogance, he thought that the people would have allegiance to himself and not to Jonathan. Consequence, verse 46. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So there's no more fighting that day. The Philistines are not completely wiped out. The victory that could have been had is not had. Again, we have the uh, prophetic words of Jonathan in verse, 40 when, verse 30 when he said, For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They're not wiped out. Application. Don't lose sight that God is more merciful than Saul was. Saul said, in no way am I going to spare your life, Jonathan. May God kill me if I spare your life. Saul spares Jonathan's life at the demand of the people. And God spares Saul's life. In his foolishness and his arrogance said, if Jonathan lives, then God strike me dead. Jonathan lives and God does not strike him dead. Because God is so much more merciful. God is so much more gracious. And God is so much more forgiving than his soul. And what is so striking is that God is all righteous and God is all holy. And Saul has been sinning through all of this. And yet God spares Saul. But Saul can't see it. How often it is that we see the faults in others rather than the faults in our own lives. Or as the New Testament puts it, the speck or the mote in another person's eye and the beam that's in our own. Saul doesn't get it. Wow, what an unforeseen course of events that happened that day, all because of an initial vow that Saul foolishly made. And there are a lot of terrible course of events that happen because people make vows, and that's why the Bible says don't do it. What could have been an incredible defeat is hindered by the self-centeredness of the king of Israel. Remember, that Jonathan had said, how much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoiler enemies 
that they found. For now, the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. The slaughter hasn't been complete. If you look at verse 52, the end of this chapter, it says, there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. All of Saul's kingship, there was this ongoing war with the Philistines that could have been won that day. That could have made an incredible difference in the nation of Israel and their experience. If only Saul would have simply trusted the Lord and acted like Jonathan had done and said, Lord, if it's your will, we'll do it. Lord, if it's your will, we'll go to battle. Trusting that the Lord would grant the victory. Being surprised at God's goodness and graciousness in providing the food that he no way anticipated or expected. It didn't have to be that way. Here is one more brick in the wall that is being erected between Saul and Jonathan. One more brick in the wall. Jonathan and Saul are going to grow farther and farther apart as we work our way through 1 Samuel. And there's another instance in 1 Samuel where Saul actually tries to kill Jonathan out of jealousy and out of anger because Jonathan accepts that David is going to be the next king rather than Jonathan. At that point, Saul knows that it's God's will for David to be the next king. But he's not satisfied with that. He wants Jonathan to be king. And he despises Jonathan for his lack of ambition. Jonathan, why don't you just kill David? Rather than praising Jonathan for his humility and his subservient spirit. And Jonathan rejoices that David is going to be king. Because he rejoices that David is going to be a different kind of king than his father is. What's a great takeaway from this passage? Well, Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Not your own human wisdom. Don't try to make deals with God. Don't try to make life better by saying, God, if you will do this, I will do this. God, if you just give me this, then I will do this for you forever. Don't make deals with God. For God is more gracious and more loving than anything you can ever imagine. Because you don't know the future, and you don't know the circumstances by which you are making these deals with God, so don't make them. Don't make them. We learned that selfishness and self-promotion is a dangerous disease. Saul's selfishness puts others at risk. We find out in this passage, Saul was not concerned about his people's physical and unfortunately spiritual well-being, but only his own agenda. Saul was only concerned about himself. And that extended even to his own son. And he was more concerned about himself than he was his son. What is striking in this passage is that there is no confession on the part of Saul. 
There is no humbling himself before God and acknowledging the foolishness of his ways. There is no statement of appreciation to God for sparing Saul his own life. He doesn't bend the knee. And there is no time in which Saul expresses a desire to be forgiven by Jonathan for the foolishness of his vows from beginning to end. Saul's too proud for any of that. Because of Saul's foolishness, the people were not able to rejoice in the way that they could have rejoiced that day. Lastly, what a wonderful example Jonathan is. Jonathan was a person of faith. And we can marvel what we heard last week when he was willing to go to battle, when he was just, he and his armor bearer going up against the 20, when he is saying that it's possible for God to deliver by many or by few. And I think we have a tendency to hold up that, that example of faith and say, wow. But I submit to you today that there's a greater example of faith in this portion of the day than in the beginning of the day. When Jonathan is so concerned about the glory and goodness of God that when he hears that it has been his action that has brought displeasure against the nation of Israel, Jonathan says, I must die. I must die. It's the right thing. Saul was willing to give himself for the sake of the good of the nation. Even though he was innocent. Even though it would be so easy to justify. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He simply was willing to accept what God's will was for his life. He risked his life by going into battle. He offered his life in being obedient to the will of God. Of course, it was not God's will for Jonathan to die that day, and so the people intervene. And he does not die. Nor does Saul. Because God is gracious, and God is good. But understand, even in the gracious and goodness of God, there are consequences. There are consequences. For Saul, he doesn't learn. We're going to see next chapter, it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. Saul doesn't learn from his mistakes. Jonathan grows in his grace, grows in his love, grows in his commitment to the Lord, and is the most faithful friend of the one who's going to take the throne, David. A throne that should have been his would it not have been for the foolishness of his father. But Jonathan never questions the goodness of God Jonathan never questions the faithfulness of God. He never 
questions the wisdom of God. Even though Jonathan acts in a perfect way for the entirety of his life, he is never put in a bad light. But he's still not going to be king. Because of his father. But Jonathan accepts that, serves God, and glorifies God through the entirety of his life. May God give us the wisdom to just trust in him and not to try to make deals in order to secure our agenda, wanting what we want, and saying, Lord, if you will just do this, then I will do that. Simply pray. Ask for God's will and submit to it, whatever it is. Glorify him. And he will provide for you in ways that you cannot imagine. Even as that day he was providing for the children of Israel in a way in which Saul never imagined with that honey that was theirs for the taking. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us to be a people who trust you. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are not relying upon our own understanding, who are not trying to make deals with you, who are not trying to secure your blessing, your direction, by some oath that we are making. But, Lord, help us to realize that your ways are far beyond our ways. Your wisdom is greater than our wisdom. Your love for us is greater than our love for you. Lord, in any time we try to dictate to you, we just make things worse for ourselves. Teach us that even as we pray. You have taught us to pray, not my will but yours be done. Lord, teach us the wisdom of that. Teach us the goodness of that. For we often construct in our own minds what you should do and how you should do it. But Lord, help us to acquiesce. Help us to see your goodness, your grace, your power, your wisdom, your justness, your holiness, so that we gladly say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You know better. And you love us more than we love ourselves. And Lord, I thank you for the many times that we fail. And we are arrogant and we are proud and we choose our own way. But yet how merciful you are, even as you spared the life of Saul, who said, may the Lord strike me dead. Jonathan, if you live. Thank you, Lord, for sparing Saul's life. Thank you for sparing our life. And Lord, help us to see that you are a God of mercy and you have forgiven us much. Help us to be a people of mercy and forgive others. Lord, may we not hold them to a different standard than we hold ourselves. And may we not hold them to a different standard than you hold us to. But may we forgive others even as you have forgiven us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.